Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. I know uh, last week was great. We had some great time with a friend of ours, Christian Allen, and hopefully uh, you were ministered to and learned and received and imparted and received from the Lord, that what he wanted to do. Um, last Tuesday, we were in uh, the chapel, and we had some worship and some word and everything. It was really great. But And in the midst of that, there was a, a word of knowledge about someone having an ear issue that had been ringing and different things like that, and someone said, that's me. And they were instantly healed, and the tinnitus was gone immediately. <laughs> that they had been suffering with for some time. A few weeks ago, there was a, someone, there was a word of knowledge around someone with some lung issues, uh, and there was a visitor here who put up her hand. She used to go here many years ago, and some of our team uh, around her, some of our, con- you're all on the team, put her hand on this lady's back, and they could hear the rattle and feel the rattle that was happening in her lungs. And as the prayer went out, they started to notice that the rattle wasn't there, and so they were kind of moving their hands around on the back, trying not to be creepy about it, but trying to find it and to realize that in that moment, she was completely healed. Yeah. I think that's all right. Very, very. And God has more for us. God has more for you. Turn to the person beside you. Say, God has more. Yes, we're that kind of church. Anybody know... Someone that is a procrastinator. Some of you are putting up your spouse's hand. It's all right. I'll give you a moment to put off responding. I, I, I had read some of these thoughts this week on procrastination. And uh, if you're on my social media this week, you might have seen them. I love deadlines. I love the whooshing sound they make as they go by. It's procrastinators. Maybe somebody is this, or you work for somebody that does this, or someone works for you that does this. Procrastination taught me how to do 30 minutes of work in eight hours. And eight hours of work in 30 minutes. If you're in college, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, I'm looking at you. The sooner I fall behind, the more time I have to catch up. Procrastinator, no, I save all my homework until the last minute because then I'll be older and therefore wiser. I just helped somebody out. Somebody's going to use that this week. My mother always told me I wouldn't amount to anything because I procrastinate. I told her, just you wait. When you can put dad jokes in there as well, it's fantastic. Do we ever put off doing what we know we need to do? No, good. Michael is one in the room. Most of us do, at some level, put off things until it's more convenient. Not everybody. Some of you are right on it all the time. But as we look, we also not only sometimes put it off, sometimes we don't even know what to do. As we look at the world around us, we struggle with, in the face of incessant challenges that we see, and as our culture has gone crazy, our economy's a little bumpy, inflation continues to ravage and prices going up 
I was at the grocery store yesterday and I walked out and I was like, how did this little bit of food cost that much? Anybody else been there? And then we have the incessant news about negative climate events and never mind the issues in our own life around isolation and insecurity. We see many people deconstructing their faith. There's a lot of challenges in the world, marriage issues, family issues, all kinds of things. And sometimes we know what to do and we don't want to do it, and sometimes we don't know what to do. But I talk to many people that are frustrated, some people that are fearful, some are angry, some are discouraged, others may be disheartened. But what can we do? What do we face? What do we do in the face of so much challenge, so much difficulty, so much change in such a short amount of time, a world that seemingly has gone crazy? What do we do with so much shaking? But shaking is actually part of the design of God. That everything that can be shaken will be shaking so that what remains is true. Are you feeling shook? We're going to look at a little wee book in the Old Testament today, Haggai. Say Haggai. Haggai. I've never preached out of Haggai. Maybe a verse here and there, but I've never preached a full sermon. We're going to do four. It has 38 verses. If you have no clue where it is, find Matthew and turn to the left about three books. And it's only two chapters and 38 verses. And it's a book that I think has a lot of lessons for us in our day and in our time. In 536 BC, or 586, sorry, the Babylonian army had come in to Jerusalem, destroyed it, and taken off everybody into captivity. They destroyed the temple that was beautiful, uh, one of the wonders of the world. They destroyed it that had been built by King Solomon. The surviving populace was taken off into captivity, and... A number of years later, decades later, the Persians conquered the Babylonians and then said, that would be like Persia is like present-day Iran, roughly, and Iraq would be where the Babylonians were. The Persians came in and took out the Babylonians, and then they said to the, is the people of God that you can go back to the land that you, went, that you came from, as many as you would like. And out of Maybe a couple of million, only about 50,000 of them went back because of, they knew it would be challenging. They returned to a land that was in difficulty, that had been destroyed and neglected for 70 years. You see what happens when you neglect your house for seven days inside. Your kid's destroyed in seven days. 70 years, a nation that had been ne neglected. And, but when we talk about where things were at, houses had been torn down, walls were destroyed, it had been set on fire. It was not an easy situation to go back into. And as we open to Haggai, imagine that an entire country where every house is a fixer-upper. And... Every household is in disarray, and they've returned after 70 years, and Haggai begins to speak to them and prophesy to them, reminding them that you've been busy rebuilding your house while the house of God lies in ruins and is difficult. So we're going to read in a, it's a little longer passage of 11 verses in first book of or first chapter of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, that's the Persian king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, 
son of Shiat, that guy, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. I love the details. It reminds me that God is in your details. That day was about, uh, I think, August the 29th, 520 B.C. in our calendar. Imagine how precise God was back then. It reminds me that God is still precise today. That you are not at this time in history by accident. You are not here by chance. You are not here just because two people got together. You are here in the plan and the time, timing of God because his hand is on your life. He has something for you to do. He has a purpose for you. He's gifted you, called you, anointed you, and is pulling you into his grand story. That you're not just somebody who showed up and you might feel like you've just showed up and you're wondering what's going on. But I want to tell you today that here on the 1st of October, 85 or 87 days before Christmas, that you are in the plan of God and that there's more for your life that, you, that God is calling you out of and calling you into his great story. So when we see moments like this that are seemingly like, well, there's detail, we need to look a little differently at sometimes that you are important and necessary part of God's story. Some of you are not sure about that. But I want to tell you unequivocally, Ephesians 2.10 says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. In other words, there's still, if you're alive, if you're alive, just wave at me. Some of you, I'm not sure, and you're not sure. Um, if you're alive, I want to remind you that there's still purpose and, uh, and destiny on your life to be fulfilled. You are not to live out your days and run out the clock and just kind of exist until the end. But as long as you draw breath, as, breath, as long as your marbles still are marbling, you still have purpose in God. Whatever age you're at, you have something to contribute. Then the people say, and we continue on, these people say the time has not yet, somebody say not yet, come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? He means the house of God. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought. Say careful to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody ever felt like that? This is what the Lord Almighty says, though. Give careful. Somebody say careful. Thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. That's so encouraging. Called for a drought on you. They had walked out of exile and come back to the land from Babylon. They had come with such hope and anticipation of what might happen. But here they find themselves 
16 years later in a challenge. They were faith challenges. They had forgotten the promises of God for their life and the, the command of God for their life. They were wandering in their faith. There were spiritual challenges as they had low motivation. They were self-focused and seemingly shallow in their faith, building and doing their own thing. There were natural challenges with the environment, plagues and, and drought and not enough food and housing issues. There were political challenges as they lived under the oppression of, a, of an empire. They had excessive taxation. They were persecuted. They had inflation, putting money into a pocket with holes. They had psychological challenges of discouragement and depression and fear. There were social challenges as all of this stuff affects all of the relationships. Does that, any of that sound like a little bit like today? How did they get from coming out of bondage with joy to this? Such anticipation, such hope. It's going to be great. It's onward and upward from here. It's a story that begins actually 16 years prior to what we just read. And it's an important point to raise that where we are right now rarely happened in one day. Rarely. It does sometimes. But it happens little decision by little decision. Here a little, there a little. For good or for bad, we get into spots and places. Little one decision by one decision by one decision. I remember many years ago, I was here in this church, and it was 1995, and I said, God, I, I'm really struggling, and I need you to change my heart or change my location. Be careful what you pray. About seven weeks later, I was in a moving truck going down to a church I had never been to to serve in a denomination I had only heard of that day, almost, to Campbell River. And I went off to the island for 15 years. Be careful when you make one decision. You don't always know where it's going to end up. One decision at a time. But here they, we have to flip over to the book of Ezra. If you don't know where Ezra is, go to Psalms in your Bible and turn left. It's a little bit before that. And we see what happened to take a people full of faith full of anticipation, believing that God was going to move and change things. And they found themselves stuck, not moving, so many discouraging things happening. And they had never anticipated that when they stepped out of bondage and got into freedom, that it would look like it did. And we found out why. When we go to Ezra chapter 4, it says this, verse 1 and 2 and then 4 and 6. When the enemies say, I've got an enemy... When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel, we talked about him already, and to the heads of the families and said, let us help you build, because like you we seek God and have been sacrificing to him. They said, no thanks. But then the people around them, the enemies, set out to discourage, to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed the officials to work against them and to frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And long story short, the building stopped right then. 
started with such promise, with such hope, with anticipation, believing that the best days were still going to come, and everything ground to a halt. And when I look at our nation, there's so much hope in my spirit, but at the same time, I recognize the reality of what's going on in our nation and saying that we have to recognize where we are, that however we got here, we need to see God move. That however things have ended up here, we need to see some change happen where once again the primacy of God and his presence and his purposes is at the very center of our lives. I think it was Galileo who for the, was the first one that proposed, and I could be wrong, but I think it's Galileo, proposed that rather than the sun rotating around the earth, the earth rotated around the sun. And sometimes I think that's how we look at God. He's meant to rotate around my life, what I'm doing. Bless it. Make me wealthy. Keep me healthy. Fill in what I miss on my never-ending shopping list. There's a song that just came into my brain from 1986. That's how old I am. But the reality is actually that our lives are found purpose when we orient them around God. Say this is God, that we don't ask him to simply bless us. We say, God, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to build your house. I'm here to make my life an offering to you. I'm here to be used by you. I'm here to love and be loved by you. That I don't serve, uh, you don't serve me, I serve you. You came for me because you had a plan and a purpose for my life. And it's not meant just to be about me and for me and about making my life more comfortable and easier and, and helping me to be the, the most uh, followers on Instagram, that my life is about making your name great, declaring your goodness in the land of the living, seeing you use me to bring healing to people, seeing me use you to bring restoration, seeing you use me, however it means, but that my life would be oriented around God, not the other way around. And sometimes we use God to serve us and our position and our purpose rather than saying, God, I'm here for you. And that says there, you live in your paneled houses. Paneled houses was where they would have had wood, which only the places of royalty would have. The common people had houses built out of bricks, rocks, and mud. So where did this panels come from? Well, in Ezra chapter 3, we see that they had gotten logs from Lebanon to, for the house of the Lord. And then we hear in Haggai that they needed to go cut down some more trees. Why? There was already provided for them for the house of God. So think about it. There was logs provided, brought there. We find out that they have paneled houses and there's nothing left for the house of God. They had to go get some more. So it tells you that what was intended for God's house was used to build their house. What's intended for God, we sometimes use to build us. Turn to somebody and say, I'm not sure who he's talking about. But there are strategies designed to take us out from putting Jesus at the center of our life, from putting everything under the supremacy and leadership of Jesus. 
There are strategies that the enemy will do to knock you off, to take you out, to stop you from moving forward in God. Because you, with God, are a powerhouse for the world. You, with God's hand on your life, are meant to set captives free. You, with God's hand on your life, are meant to be one who lays hand on the sick and they recover. You, with God's hands on your life, are meant to pull people out of darkness and bring them into the presence of, of the Most High. You, with God's hand on your life, are meant to make an impact and a difference in the world, to be a force for good and for God. But the enemy hates you. And sometimes we've been lulled to sleep. And so what did they do? The enemy's strategy in Ezra we see to stop you from building a life that's centered around God. The first is deception. Deception causing someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to take advantage of them. And we are deceived by a worldly philosophy that says, God serves me. We are deceived that by a worldly philosophy that says, I can do whatever I want and say, God bless me. We are deceived by a worldly philosophy that says, God is something I add to my life rather than one who I give my life to. It's about how I felt that it would be when I was preaching this part. But has anybody ever got yourself in a bad spot that you never intended to get into? Sometimes when you're traveling and you don't pay attention to the directions or you get bad directions and you get deceived. I was taking someone home the other night and I follow Google. They put the address in. Actually, it was Apple Maps. That's what the problem was. Put that. And we went to somewhere and they're like, that's not my house. I was like, this is the address. That's not my house. And we looked and you're like, oh, it's supposed to be on 58 and we're on 62 Avenue. Somehow Apple put us there. And sometimes that happens in our life. We get in a spot. We don't know how we get, got there, but little by little, decision by decision, and we're deceived into a spot and we stop moving in God. One decision here, one decision there, and we get stuck. The other tool that the enemy, the other strategy that he often uses is discouragement. To cause someone to lose confidence, to cause someone to lose their enthusiasm, to prevent or seek to prevent to show, by showing dis disapproval or creating difficulties. The enemy sets out to discourage, to cause you to lose your courage. Have you lost some confidence? Has your enthusiasm waned? Have you lost some of your spiritual or emotional courage? Have you struggled to stay engaged in what God had called you to do? Where might you be discouraged today? And it goes on to say that he used the tool of fear. These are signs of discouragement, fear. He said, I want to discourage them to make them afraid to even build. Fear is an incredible, this is a, some, some have uh, deterred, or, Title this, The Age of Anxiety. Fear of social media mobs. Fear of the future that your children and grandchildren are growing up in. Fear of the unknown. Maybe afraid that if you went all in for God, how people would look at you or think about you or talk about you or cancel you or discredit you. Maybe fearful of what you might have to give up in order to go all in for God and build what God's called you to build. Fearful, 
The enemy will use fear and do anything and everything to keep you feeling small, to keep you believing little, to keep you feeling insignificant, that you have nothing to offer, that there's nothing for you, to keep you from uh, your contribution, to rob you from your call, to stop you from growing, to stop you from believing that God could and will use you. The enemy will use fear. I want to ask you, where are you afraid to try today? Where are you afraid to believe today? Where are we afraid to dream today? Where have we stopped believing that God moves? That revival is still possible in Canada? That your marriage could be restored? Why are, where are you fearful of what God could do or might do? Then there's this other tool he used which said I, he intended to frustrate them, to work against them. Has anybody felt like somebody's been working against you? There is somebody working against you. He's called the, your adversary the devil. Whether you say that he's your adversary, he is your adversary, and he's actively working against you. He's actively working to steal from you, to kill your dreams, to kill your hope, to kill your future, because you are meant to make an impact in God. Maybe you've experienced disappointment and frustration. I'm battling on every front financially, I'm battling with my health. I'm battling with my family. I'm battling for my marriage. And every time I feel like I'm taking a step forward, I get knocked back two steps. And I feel frustrated on so many spaces. Where are you frustrated today? And then the final tool that he uses to bring discouragement is accusation. We saw him, he accused them. These enemies accused them before the king. They smeared them. He lied about them. The enemy loves to tell you that you can't, that you won't, that God's not for you, that why would God trust you? Why would God bless you like he blesses other people? We all know what you did. We all know the failure that you are. We know the family that you came from. There is nothing for you. And the shame that we feel when we fail, who do you think you are? And the enemy will use all these tools, even though the Bible reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. That the Bible tells us that God causes all things to work together for my good and for his glory. But the enemy will use all kinds of strategy, discouragement, fear, frustration, accusation. The opposition is too much. The trials are too much. I'm too busy. I can't handle it. It's not yet time for God to use me. It's all part of the plan and scheme of the enemy to get us away from prioritizing a life centered on God. Not God on the peripheral. Not God out there. Not God that I meet on Sunday and say, see you later. Next week, we'll meet here again. And so after the opposition, it's all what these people did, like many of us, they laid down their shovels, they laid down their trowels, they laid down their tool belts and gave up on what God had promised and said, I guess all I'm going to do is survive and build my little house here and make it. Hopefully, I'll make it. But don't build anything that God's called you to build. Don't be who God's called you to be. You can't do it. And for 16 years, they focused on their house instead of God's. They focused on their priorities instead of God's. And all work on building a house for the presence of God 
stopped. And then the word of the Lord comes to them. He said, these people say, this time has not yet come to rebuild the house. Isn't that so human? We don't say yes and we don't say no. We say it's, the timing's off. We don't say no. We say later. Later, God, there isn't a convenient time to really change things up. I got a lot going on. I'll give you the last five years just before I retire. Then we'll get serious about it. But I got a business to build. I've got a job to do. I've got a lot going on. My kids are involved in a lot of different things. And so, you know, we'll put it off. It's not yet time to go all in. It's not yet time to reorient my life around God. Where are we saying later, it's not yet time, instead of yes? We say later to focusing on a marriage that's in deep need of work. We say later to getting honest about the addictive patterns in our life. We say later to living in purity. We say later to deep forgiveness. We say later to discipling our kids. We say later to respecting our husband or loving our wives. We say later to developing a healthy soul. We say later to making the change that we know we need to make. We say later to dealing with the disappointments and the hurts and the hang-ups of our life. We say later to developing a consistent pattern of generosity. We say later to the word and prayer. This has been proven. The Pew Research Group did a study across North America and found that a third of people who say that they're a follower of Jesus never opened their Bible. Never. Rarely or never was the term. 45% open their Bible one time a week or a little bit more, and most of them, it's when they're at church. We say later to letting go of bitterness and resentment. We say later to making service a part of our life. What are you saying later to? I'm not done. Someone was hoping, I think. <laughs> Perfect timing, eh? And I pray today that all of us, including me, hear the gentle, perhaps sharp, though, challenge of the Lord through Haggai. It's time. Is it really time to prioritize your ways, your priorities, your timing more than the way of Jesus. Verse 5 brings it home with this incredible diagnostic question, statement, directive. Give careful thought to your ways. It's almost like the Lord is saying, how's that working out for you? And he lays it out. You plant much, you harvest little, you eat, you never have enough, you drink, you don't get full, you have put on clothes, you're not warm, you earn wages. In other words, there's no fulfillment in a half-hearted, half in life. I was talking to someone this week 
they talked about how they made a shift a couple of years ago where they just said, God, whatever needs to shift in my life, I give you permission to do that. They were in, not in a good spot, and they didn't even, weren't even sure how real God was in their life. But they were not living for Jesus in that moment. They were sleeping outside of marriage. They were taking drugs. They were doing all kinds of stuff, living for themselves, making money, spending it all on themselves, living a life absolutely centered on themselves. And you say, well, that's not me. But let me ask you this. Are there areas of your life or my life that are not centered on Jesus? a challenge. And this young person prayed a prayer and said, God, if you're really real, shake it up. I think it was that day or that week they got laid off. That week, the girls that were around them ghosted them. And they were like, hmm, I guess I better do something with this. And they started a whole new journey. I pray that it doesn't take something like that for us. That we could turn procrastination to activation. And as we read this in 2023, this is not about building a physical house. For, this, I'm not starting a building campaign to build a sanctuary. Although Lord knows I would love to not have to set up every week. But we're thankful for a spot that's out of the rain, has sound in it, lights, warm, sometimes too warm, sometimes too cold, but we're grateful. How many of you are grateful to not be sitting outside right now in, although, I don't know, is it sunny out? Maybe right now. November when it's pouring rain, right? It's not about a physical structure. It's about you. It's about me. It's about our hearts. It's about being a person that says yes to Jesus, about being a person that says, God, I want to put you first in my life. I've not prioritized you the way that I need to, and I know that I should. I've not gone after you the way that you've gone after me. I've not drawn near to you the way that you draw near to me, but I want to make a shift to turn my procrastination into activation. See, we want to be a church and a people that host the presence of God well. Talk to our worship team about this this week, where we build, ask God to build our lives centered on him, a person of Jesus, hosting him well. Exodus 33 and 15, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And for, may, for too often, the presence of God is a side issue rather than the main issue. Because when we get this one right, Jesus in first place, everything changes. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be taken care of. God putting him at the, on the throne of our heart and on the throne of our life. Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. They follow me. He's at the center. He's the leader, the Lord, it's not just our Savior, but our Lord. Not every difficult thing in our life is because we are doing our own thing. Let me say that. We live in a sin-cursed world where all kinds of bad things happen just because we live in that kind of a world. We also sometimes experience the effects of the sin of others done to us. But let not that stop us from doing a personal diagnostic and taking personal inventory with the Lord and say, give careful thought to my ways, that I would give careful thought to my ways, that you would say, Lord, I want to give careful thought to my ways. 
Are you a priority or are you on the peripheral of my life? Only you can answer that. Scripture tells us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Jesus in John 14 and 15 said, Abide in me that you might bear much fruit. Give careful thought. Or has deception and discouragement worked to cause your spiritual life to be survival? Marked by excuses? Marked by procrastination? Marked by your priorities over his? Marked by your way over his? Just asking the question. No matter how long we've gone in the wrong direction, we can always turn around. That's what this was about. You've been operating a certain way, and for 16 years it hasn't worked for you at all. It's time to turn the corner. It's time to turn back. There's a Bible word for it called repentance. Say, God, I don't want to expect that you're going to rotate around my life, but I, or my life, I assure you, I don't want to live with the expectation that you serve me, but that I want to live with the reality that I serve you, that I follow you, that I obey you, that I do what you've called me to do, that I put you on the throne of my heart and the leadership of my life, that you become first place. What kind of life are we building? Who are we becoming? What does the world need you to be in God? What has God called you to? What has God, God created you for? Where has he called you to put your hand to? Who has he called you to know and be known by? Who has he called you to be? What has he called you to deal with and to stop making excuses in your life, in my life? Well, I'll deal with that. God understands that. But if God's asking you to make a move, he'll also give you the power to make the move. If he's calling you to something, he will also empower you for it. Build my house. I think last week someone said, we don't need to know where we're going. We don't need to know when we're going. We don't need to know why we're going. We just need to know who we're following. That Jesus would be at the center that we would reorient our life around God. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next time, but we cannot do this without Jesus. We, it's not willpower and trying harder. And some of us have some significant things that God is putting his finger on in our lives. I believe that. I've been had, having this and praying about this for some time, preparing for this. And Zechariah 4 and 6 reminds us it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is by the spirit, my spirit, says the Lord. Can we hear the call of the Spirit of God? Instead of saying it's not yet time, say it's time. It's time. It's time for me to move from procrastination to activation. The journey of faith is a series of choices. Will we do what we think is important or will we reorient our lives around Jesus? I invite you to stand to your feet. I want to just do something here a little.
I want to in, kind of pretend, imagine uh, yourself inside of a circle. Just maybe even draw it around yourself. Nothing spooky. And I'm going to invite you in a moment. This, let this represent where you are currently. The good, the bad, the ugly, the things that are known, the things that are unknown, the struggles, the busyness, the discouragement, the anger, the frustration, whatever you are in the middle of and what's in with you. And between you and the Lord, when you're ready in a moment, draw that circle around you. And I'm going to ask you in a moment to just take a step out of it. Symbolizing God, I want to take a step. I don't know how and I don't know when and I don't know where, but I know I just want to follow you into all that you have for my life. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm a little worried about it. But I want to follow you and step into all that you have for me in this next ministry year. Then I won't look back six months from now with regret, but I'll look back six months from now with joy. So Lord, just take a moment and you, when you're ready, step out of your little circle to the right or to the left or just a step in front of you. So I invite you to close your eyes for a moment. It's nothing spooky just to give privacy to you and the people around you. First step is repentance where we bring our procrastination, our excuses, our reasons, why, and say, God, I give that to you. I give you my discouragement. I give you my disappointment. I give you my fear. I give you my anxiety. I give you all that. And forgive me for letting those lead my life. I want you to lead my life. I surrender my life and my agenda, my family, my time to you. Come and lead my life. May my life carry your presence everywhere I go. May I host you well in my life. Do something special in my life this year. I don't know how to do it well, but I want to follow you a little more closely. I want to go after you a little bit more. I want to be more like you, Jesus. Imagine what would happen if we would give careful thought to our ways, that we could move from apathy to passion, that we could move from insecurity to confidence, that we could move from confusion to purpose, that we could move from frustration to fulfillment, that we could move from consuming to contributing, that we could move from shallow to deep, that we could move from fear to trust, that we could move from, and you could fill in the blanks. And Jesus, by your grace, as we take a step, thank you. I'm going to pray this over you. Thank you that we're moving forward. Thank you that we're going beyond where we've been. Thank you that we're going past every limit. Thank you that we're going through every obstacle. Thank you that as we follow you, we're overcoming. Thank you that as we follow you, we're participating. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to help us to be a church and a family, individuals, marriages, students that are reorienting our lives around you. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, 
visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.